What are you talking? What's a haboob? What are you talking? Well, now we should start recording. Uh, yeah. Haboob. Haboob is like a big ass dust storm, like a blackout dust storm you can see coming. It's like usually in the Middle East, but I think uh, like Arizona gets them and occasionally oh. the desert. Can you use it in a sentence? Watch out for that haboob. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great example. Yeah. <laughs> really so, good. So, Andy, have you actually seen a haboob? No, we're just talking about the one? crazy... It, there's snow falling in my backyard in Joshua Tree for the first time in the three years I've lived here. How old were you when you saw your first haboob? I would I would <laughs> practice on, on like the couch or pillows, like what it would be like <laughs> to be in a haboob. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we could like, they could turn like between channels and they'd be kind of scrambled. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. You if you switch between weather channels, you can get stuck on a haboob sometimes, <laughs> like back in the day. <laughs> It's better than a happiness. Anyway. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. There we go. The female has entered the chat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take off your fedoras, fellas. <laughs> the inappropriate your... female has joined. Probably science. And welcome to Probably Science. I'm your host, one of three, in fact. I'm Jesse Case. Andy Wood here. And I'm Matt Kirshen. And Andy, how are you dealing with, with the inclement weather? It's, uh, I, I, was, I was in LA for a couple days and I come back and parts of my fence are blown down. It's pretty, it's like the, probably the biggest, yesterday it was 70 mile an hour winds and then today it's snowing, so. Wow. Parts and, uh, of your fence are blown? You had a Fence. Fence backyard fence yeah yeah no absolutely are you using the fence for anything is it just a decorative fence are you do you have hogs so or? i can't, so tony i can't see tony yeah i understand yeah. although he just called me five minutes before we were recording i'm like i can't take this call tony he's getting evicted more or less like nancy clancy's family is finally trying to sell the house she's been in the hospital oh. for a year he's just freeloading there but he called me and the voicemail was just like Hey, Andy, did you see the snowdrops? That's what he calls snowflakes, I guess. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So I guess there's snowdrops falling, and he wanted to call me to remind me that there's snowdrops out there. So All right. we, we should also introduce the fourth voice that you may yes. have already heard discussing <laughs> haboobs and, and whatnot. That, it, that is our good friend and very funny comedian and writer and creator of shows, Amanda Brooke Perrin. Hey, Amanda. Hi everyone! It's so nice to be in your fedora company. So, so you're gonna lose you're gonna lose your neighbor, Andy. Well, I mean, it's been a long time coming. I forgot if I told all the stories. I mean, I don't want to. Amanda, I have a crazy neighbor. In the a harmless crazy, harmless crazy neighbor, like um, lovable bullshitter. In in a, in a in a in a forgotten time, he would have been. Um, a teller of tall tales. I think this is how we get the Paul Bunyan type stories in American lore is people like Tony. Um, but he's well, also... The fence is there. He's got that blue oxen. Yeah. He's also uh, uh, sort of a free... Not He's a freeloader and possible elder abuser. Like, he's been living for free in this house he doesn't own with an older woman who is getting increasingly not cognitively all there. And one time she wandered over to my house and said she needs Tony to be gone and I recorded the conversation in case I had to like do something about this and I was like well I can't I can call the police and ask them to come by if you want like you have to go to the police at this point it's your house you can kick him out if you want 
and they came and did a welfare check and somehow like Tony talked them out of coming in. I think if they had ever entered the house, they would have deemed it uninhabitable and everyone would have been gone. But now Nancy's in the hospital getting taken care of and uh, it's for the best that her family sells this because yeah, Tony, I don't know how they haven't cut off all the bills. He definitely hasn't paid any. He has no income. So and he was just nine, renting from eight her? pit bulls after... No, it wasn't paying anything. He was just living in her house. I think he had convinced her that like he, she needed him for like care or not even care because he wasn't giving. Uh, like they became friends when they lived when they were neighbors in like Whittier or something. And it's just everything you hear from Tony. It's like you're on an island with a one liar and one demented eighty year old, and uh, you, <laughs> you have one question you could ask to figure out. Uh, yeah, so everything I get from him, you got to take with a grain of salt. And then I, she doesn't have a cell phone and she's mostly like almost locked in the house because he would lock the chain link fence around the property when he would leave with a padlock. So it's not, it wasn't good. It's good even though she's not in good health. It's good that she's out. And I mean, I don't really have an opinion on whether it's good or not that he'll have to move because like it's not good for the dogs either. Like nothing's good over there. But I don't know what he'll do now. So how old is this man? I don't know. He sounds awesome. <laughs> you would like him. <laughs> yeah. I think he sounds he's like my kind of guy. Yeah, absolutely. Early sixties. And then he's also had a number of health problems that could all be lies also. Like I just never know. I wish I could just get one third party, one trustworthy third party to give me the truth is on. Is he is he single? And <laughs> ready to mingle. <laughs> If you like nine, eight pit bulls. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, again, harmless, harmless, like kind-hearted to me. <laughs> He's I'm not harmless, sure. maybe elder abuse, but harmless. Maybe, I mean, and also the dogs. Elder abuse was mostly <laughs> just may or may not be. mooching. The dogs are fine, except... If the, you're not a dog and you're under 60, like, it's fine. It sounds like so I mean, good the, guy. The, the dogs are getting fed. Like, he feeds them before he feeds himself. Like, he would... I'd take him to the grocery store sometimes and he would just buy a giant log of ground beef and just for the dogs. And I'm like, you got to get something for yourself, Tony. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, I think he does have a source of food now, if not money. Like he volunteers with uh, like a local church based food bank or something and gets all the groceries he needs. That's a pretty low bar having a food source. Well, I mean, it's like a, if you literally have no money and no, no, income, no, totally, like, uh, totally. I just mean, uh, I, I just mean, I didn't know, I didn't know that was the scenario to say like I think he's got a source of food now. Like I didn't yeah, know that's I where mean, Tony was at. I'm not yeah. saying like that's funny. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, there were times he'd call me and tell me what his blood sugar was because he's diabetic, and I'm like, I don't know this disease well enough to know that that's a. I'm assuming that's a high number because you're telling it to me something in the 500s, and uh, and he's like, I need some vegetable or something and this is like early days of covid when you're not even supposed to like be in a room with people so i'm like i tony i gotta leave i'll leave a package of kale on my front porch if you want to come by and grab it when i'm gone wow do Um, you guys often start with bleak stories it's not that bleak (laughs) this is not even the bleakest um it seems like we just come out we bum everyone out and we like to, we we take the nowhere to go but up philosophy yeah. with the podcast. I know? mean, that was bleak. Now he's better. Uh, supposedly, he said he has pancreatic cancer stage four. Oh my god! I think that's a lie because that was that was like almost two years ago, and you would not be alive. Right. Like if Patrick anyway, Swayze welcome to Alex probably Trebek, science, everyone. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I was I mean, worried I about listeners the science part. Science news. <laughs> yeah. I was worried about the science this part. This is new to Amanda, but to the listeners, we're talking like, about death, right. cancer, elderly abuse, no. all of the things. It's not. It's not out of nowhere to listeners, just so you know. We've talked about this before. I have talked about this before. But why were you... So, Amanda, why were you worried about the science <laughs> part? I guess we could segue in. I mean, we, we ask all the guests um, if they have a background in science whatsoever. But that could... The, I mean, everyone kind of does. Did you enjoy... You know, do you enjoy uh, baking things? Did you have a favorite class as a kid? Did you... Uh, did you set fly to things in the woods? Did you yeah, make did your you build a model rocket? And- uh, yeah. Yeah, I did burn evidence. Um, no, I have a very okay. weird, weird relationship with science. I was so bad at it. And every, we had this biology teacher that was beloved. And because I was so bad at science, I, I had like a weird vendetta against him. And I just haven't been able to move past it. And then years later, I found out I have some kind of like reading comprehension problem and uh, possibly ADHD. So all of that was misplaced anger. And I feel bad now. But science was never my strong suit for sure. What was your what was the strong suit in school? What was your like you're like you're like this is easy. This, can't, this comes as easy. Weirdly writing, but I guess like the reading back. Yeah. Maybe I maybe that's why my stories didn't have middles. <laughs> Just kidding, um, they did. But, uh, but yeah, and now I'm a writer, so it doesn't really make sense. But math and science um, were always hard for me. But yeah, I like baking. I did a DNA test for my dog, and it was a waste of money. <laughs> Sure. Uh, what Wait, were the results? It, what if were, it's a female, I'm, I'm guessing 100% that bitch. It, she was 100% that bitch. Um, <laughs> no. And yeah. So she, the, so my dog is from Thailand. She was. I got her from a rescue that brings a bunch of dogs from Thailand and Mexico and um, just places where they have meat trades. I wasn't planning on it. Lord knows that LA has a lot of strays, um, but I kind of met her and fell in love. But she's from Thailand. And I was very curious and the, the results came back and all it said was Southeast Asian village dog, which is so vague. <laughs> and it's so, at the same time, yeah. at least got the region right. Yes, right? true. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that impresses me a little. I mean, I, I find that impressive that it's uh, it's like a Southeast Asian village dog and it's like it knows you know, I wish it. I had your optimism, I Jesse. I did. I was like, this is bull crap. I spent a lot of money um, trying to figure out if it but, was some kind of terrier. But they do know genetically that it didn't come from a big city, like that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like a, a home alone. This dog, lost this dog in New York doesn't know situation. its way around Tower Block. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It doesn't have time for your big city ways. It's <laughs> no. just now, a humble it, small town dog. Is your dog like trying to get in touch with her ancestry? Like, does she want to go back? You know, try to find her parents, that sort of thing. I think she's like pretty comfortable sleeping um, on my bed all day. But I did try to okay. u- use some sort of translator when I first got her on like an online translator thing to see if she would recognize any of the language and um, she didn't even flinch. So I don't I don't even know if she remembers that part of her life. She did have puppies in Thailand, though, that were adopted. Oh, 
Wow. I want to see a picture of this dog. You haven't seen I my dog? I have seen a picture of this dog, and it's... it's a, Wait, how old's your dog? So, uh, six. How old? Six. Oh, then I, got th- I think I have. It's just been, like, four years or five years, so I just forgot. Wow. I have poor dog memory. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm sure she doesn't remember you, you either. You remember Gus? I think I remember Gus. If I saw Gus in a light up, I think sort of a golden retriever mixed with a lab, mixed with a... What? Like, Gus, we lab. lived with him for like five years. I know, but it's been <laughs> seven years since then. It was a kind of a lab mix? What uh, was he? It was, like a, it was like a German shepherd with floppy ears, but fat. Right. Oh, that's right. And he was like a mess. Like he was like covered with fleas and like he was, a, he was a mess. And his hips were shit, right? Yeah, yeah. He had horrible yeah. hips. And uh, he had a crooked tail. Like, oh, that's right. You know? Um, yeah, yeah. That was Gus. And then, <laughs> I don't know. I, I keep, uh, I'm kind of nervous because it's like I'm new to this house. But I found out the, the house that I'm in, the creek behind the house, um, is like the feral cat superhighway. It's mm-hmm. like, it's how they get under the train tracks. It's how they go behind all the houses and find food. It's where they all are. And I can already start. Um, it's just got it's recently warmed up here. And uh, so cats are starting to go into heat and I can like hear them at night. <laughs> and I'm I'm like pretty uh, what I call kitten vulnerable. OK. You know what I mean, like if I see a kitten, I'm like going to try. I'm like, hey, buddy, you know, so I, I but I can't I can't have more like it'll get out of hand. I don't know how yeah. many more like kitten seasons I can do. I have two cats, which is two more than I ever meant to have. You should not be. You know what I'm saying? That. Like yeah. I can't I it's I can't. Were you a cat? But I can tell, man, some up? little No, not at all. Not at all. I uh 100% dog person. Never planned on having a cat ever, and then it just kind of happens, you know. Um and now I have two, and it's like I don't know what to do here. I mean, uh it, it's like it's fine. I'm just, I'm at the cat limit. I'm at my cat limit. Um, but I can already tell, man, there's going to be little f- fuzzy little buddies hanging out in the backyard soon because uh, of this creek. And I'm extremely, like I said, I'm extremely cat vulnerable. I'm extremely kitten vulnerable. Are there you know? local ordinances about how many, if you wanted to become a cat man? I, no, I could totally become a cat man. It, it Beep, would, up, 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 up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I could do it. I could become a cat guy. I just know that, like, it's a fight to, I have to not do that, you know? Can they all share one litter box? If they get along, it takes forever to introduce cats. Oh, yeah. um, you know, they're used to being, like, adult cats are used to being solitary and they're very territorial and stuff. So it's, uh. Supposedly, you're meant to have the number, the number of litter boxes you're meant to have is the number of cats plus one. So (laughs) that's true. And so that's what what I do. I have three litter boxes, but let me tell you what's going on, my friend, right? Is, Mm -hmm. uh, Sylvia. So I got two, I got Sylvia and I got Alfie, you know? And Sylvia, uh, I used, she was the first one. She was the, she was the first one I found. Uh, so she had one litter box. It was one cat, one litter box. Then I got Alfie, took took that advice and upped it to three, you know. But what's happened is Sylvia uh, thinks now that she just has two litter boxes. So she pees in one and poops in the other one. So it's oh, like that's reasonable. That's nice. Yeah. She's decided she she's like that. Uh, yeah, obviously, I'm going to use one for peeing and one for pooping and that's how it's going to go and then Alfie has to do everything just in the uh, in the other one that's really oh. luxurious anyway this is a, it's, also it's, she I, has her own bathroom <laughs> I have two bathrooms in my house I live alone oh my god and she it's not a big house um, 
I just needed an extra room. So I had like for like a workspace thing. So it's a two bath. Uh, and that's where her, like, I don't go in there. I have little, like, I have little art, uh, that's like at her height, like at the exit to her litter box. It's like, it's her bathroom, you know? And that's it. I stayed in an Airbnb in New York. And it, and he, the guy who owned the place, trained his cats to use the toilet. Damn, I thought it yeah, was just I, a plot point from Meet the Parents. That's real. No, you can you can do it's it. It's a real thing. It was on Shark Tank, uh, like the system, the training system, and sure. they almost like they did, like Shark Tank's very. I you know I'll watch it, uh, and it's stupid because it doesn't matter what your thing is. They like they only care about the investment or the sales. Like they don't. They'll trash your idea, but then if you're like, I made $5 million this year, they'll immediately, like, they don't care what it is. And uh, they almost laughed the cat toilet lady out of there. And then she's like, yeah, these are my sales. Uh, and then they were like, I think they all went in on it or something. Because it's like insane. Like an, an insane amount of people are trying to train their cats to use the toilet. Have you guys ever wow. had an idea for something that you would bring on a show like that? Yeah, mine's also toilet related, but I don't I don't think you can actually copyright it and someone else might have done it in some way, but just a foot pedal for the lid. Why are we touching toilet lids to put them up in our well, seats? Well, so we've we've discussed this though, Andy, because you and I have both arrived at that idea separately and we googled it together. And it is uh everyone's had that idea. And I say but, that as as like they like it does exist, but people just restaurants decide it's not worth it or something. I want it in my house. Or was it just that we, that there was nobody who was making the entire contraption? It was just supposed to fit onto an existing seat. So it's not going to be like, since seats differ so much, it's probably. probably well, that's what universal. I want. I want a universal. I don't care if it makes the toilet look weird. I want a universal foot pedal toilet yeah. opener thing. You know? Yeah. Um, Someone can make it well. If they could make it on a flush toilet, which is, I assume, is a very recent invention. You know, it's funny you mention that, Jesse, because uh, it might seem as though a flush toilet would have been something that did come about in recent human history. Yeah, everybody turns. knows that. Everyone knows the hard fact that flush toilets are new, Andy. Oh, contraire, according to <laughs> listener Paul Muxworthy, who sent us an article about how a 2,200-year-old flush toilet was found in China, likely one of the oldest ever discovered Archaeologists in China uncovered a flush toilet that's likely one of the oldest ever discovered, as I just said. Um, China's state news agency reported earlier this week. While excavating two large buildings in the ruins of the palace in the city of Yuyang, the researchers from the Institute of Archaeology at the China Academy of Social Sciences were surprised to make the discovery. The toilet's estimated to be between 2200 and 2400 years old, from between the Warring States period to the beginning of the Han Dynasty. The find is intriguing as the invention of the modern flush toilet is thought to be from Victorian England. Fan Mingyang, a design expert in ancient tools, said the toilet is deceptively advanced because of the water drainage system that's used in the modern day. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a toilet bowl, um, other broken parts, and a pipe that led to an outdoor pit were discovered last summer. The luxury object, as they call it, would likely have only been used by high-ranking members of the palace found in China's Shangxi province. Lu Ryu, a member of the excavation team, told China Daily, he added that um, he added it was he added it was that servants would have had that is weirded weird. Yes. He added yeah. that servants would have had worded, to pour water into the toilet bowl every time it was used. Okay, well, it's like is it flushing if you have to do the flushing? Um, I, I think that counts as flushing. Um, okay. 
you know, Since it's it's not a it's not a lever, but I think that. Uh, but if I dig a hole in the ground, do my business, and then dump water into that hole, can I say I just invented the flushing toilet? No, no, because it, no, because it's, it's already been done pipes. now. There's a picture of it. Yeah, okay. yeah. These are pipes that lead it to. Uh, it goes to an outdoor pit, and I would assume another thing that that makes it flush is it has to clear that S pipe because that's what blocks the smell. You know, okay. like it uses the water itself to block the odor because like the yeah, you know, the water is just in that S pipe and like then it's a P fucking P mess is behind that a P it. P trap is that what's called? But um, it doesn't look like this is just a 90 degree angle. So I'm not sure it would have that water seal you're talking about. They should have uh, used poopery. You guys I ever use that no. stuff? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> poopery rules. Yeah. In fact, I let mine. I forgot how great that is. I haven't bought it in years, but I used to have it, and it really does work. I should buy some more of that. It's great. Have you guys used it? Yeah. I've I've heard of potpourri. That's the the Catholic version. What is this? It's a spray before you go. Spray. And it oh, makes it makes your stuff okay. not stink. You spray it in your butt. What do you oh mean? no! In on the, water. the water. Yeah, in the toilet. Which you spray I it on spray the water. Yeah. You spray it on the water and then it doesn't stink. It like it really works though. It doesn't yeah. seem like it would, but somehow Seals I don't think it's just. The... It's not just masking. Yeah. yeah, just some kind of sealing. Like the science, I think it's actually a little more interesting science than just here's a different odor to compete with the one you don't like. Like I think it does do some kind of surface tensiony something or other because it, it it works it genuinely works okay look i'm bringing something to the podcast finally oh, yeah. Yeah. no this is this is uh oh wow so i've suddenly so I've, i gave it a google to figure out how it works right and mm -hmm. i have found a blog um one of one of those like board board people blogs it's um it's diy poopery you okay. can make DIY poopery, and this this claims that the ingredients are uh, rubbing alcohol, essential oils, and water. That can't be right. It could be. So it doesn't know. create like a film on the water. It doesn't make the water look different. It could because like the oils wouldn't the oils not mix with water? No, I just mean the brand name poopery. When <laughs> when you buy the brand name poopery, does it not create? What does it do to the water? I've never used it. What does it do? My 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 shit doesn't stink. I've, right, of course. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. Um, no. It's do you want happened. me to go so, look? I'll do it right that's now. That's very interesting. You got oh, poopery? See? You're rocking poopery at home? <laughs> yeah. I don't use well, it because girls don't, don't think they're poop, gonna... though. No, I know. I know. I know that, but for guests, if you had a guest over. <laughs> well, for cats. Yeah. But I'm not sure something you don't ingest is going to tell you what its ingredients are because it doesn't have to, right? Maybe it will. I don't know. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm in the I, toilet I, and let me see here. It looks normal. It looks like there's like flecks of something, maybe. Flecks of something? <laughs> okay, here's here's what here's what the gastro and here's what the gastrointestinal society has to say about this. Okay. It uses a proprietary blend of essential oils and other natural compounds, which work by forming a protective film on the surface of the toilet bowl water, trapping odors below. After you complete your business and file the paperwork, as sure. their tongue-in-cheek advertisements tell us. I've never heard file the paperwork. I kind of like that. I know it's stupid, but uh, 
Oh, that's what is that? Wiping? Yeah, I assume mm. that's wiping. Did we lose Matt, by the way? Or is he just no, not no, contributing no. to the no, really I mean, like, emotionally, but yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> not, not. <laughs> well, no, that, so this is what I was wondering, if it does anything to the water, because surely it, it has to form some sort of film. Hmm. It seems well, as though, yes. Interesting. Oils, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So okay. I don't think they had this back in ancient China, but they said uh, this toilet that was unearthed, it was the first and only flush toilet to ever be unearthed in China. Wait, that can't be true, right? Uh, everybody at the site was surprised, and then we all burst into laughter, Lou told the paper. Analyzing the surrounding soil may also hint at the diets and eating habits of the ancient people. The larger archaeological dig at the palace adds great value to the study of the layout of the capitals of the ancient dynasties, the Institute said in a press release. When do you think the first, like, swirly was? Like, the first flush toilet, <laughs> and then, like, the first, like, prank using the toilet. It had to, like, how many days after... You know, it had yeah. to be fairly quick. Yeah, I, I, I assume pretty fast. By the way, have you guys, you guys have all seen the Jackass movies, or at least some of them, I'm sure, right? Yeah. I'm aware of the concept. Yeah. <laughs> My church won't let me, but. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a few. Because when I got back to the house today, after the 70 mile an hour winds yesterday, um, at the work site across the street, the, the porta potty is on its side. And. Part of me was curious. I didn't walk over, but I was like, I've never actually seen a porta potty get knocked over, and I don't know if they're built to, like, if the dimensions and the water level is designed such that it can be on its side and not have it be a, a shit show, for lack of a better term. Wow! Like, may, maybe it's low enough water that like it's not going to be a horrible jackass situation if it's just on its side, but. I don't know. What's your favorite jackass prank? I mean, that one is the bungee cord porta potty is pretty. It wasn't a prank. I I think he knew. Yeah, yeah. He was like in a helmet, right? Well, Andy, did did, did you know? Maybe he always shits in a helmet. Did, did you know that before the ancient switch to soft food, you wouldn't be able to pronounce favorite? Oh, really? Why is that, <laughs> <Yeah>. Jesse? <laughs> That's because the ancient switch to soft food gave us an overbite and the ability to pronounce F's and V's. F and V. Okay, because yeah, your lower lip. Story. I can't remember who shared this with me, so I apologize if it was one of our listeners, because I, I, I had it open on a tab. And yeah, I don't know where it came from, but it's in science.org. Well, when humans switched to processed foods after the spread of agriculture, they put less wear and tear on their teeth. And that changed the growth of their jaws, giving adults the overbites normal in children. Within a few thousand years, those slight overbites made it easy for people in farming cultures to fire off sounds like F and V, opening a world of new words. The newly favored consonants, known as labiodentals, helped spur the diversification of languages in Europe and Asia at least 4,000 years ago. They led to such changes as the replacement of the Proto-Indo-European pater to Old English fader, about 1,500 years ago, according to linguist and senior author Balthazar Bickle. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Balthazar Bickle. <laughs> linguist. Uh, obviously. You spend your whole life Did trying to learn why your parents named you that. And <laughs> is, is it nominative determinism when a linguist, when a, someone called Balthazar Bickle becomes a linguist? Like yeah. How is yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's insane. Uh, so Balthazar is at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. The paper shows that a cultural shift can change our biology in such a way that it affects our language, says evolutionary morphologist Noreen von Kremen to Bobble at the also, University of Buffalo. 
agreement to bubble. <laughs> part of the State University of New York system, who was not part of the study. Postdocs Damien Blasi and Stephen Moran in Bickle's lab set out to test an idea proposed by the late American linguist Charles Hockett. He noted in 1985 that the languages of hunter-gatherers lacked labiodentals and conjectured that their diet was partly responsible. Chewing gritty, fibrous foods puts force in the growing jawbone and wears down molars. In response, the lower jaw grows larger and the molars erupt farther and drift forward on the protruding lower jaw so the upper and lower teeth align. That edge-to-edge bite makes it harder to push the upper jaw forward and touch the lower lip, which was required to pronounce labiodentals. Again, that's F and V, Brett Favre. But other linguists rejected the idea, and Blasey says he, Moran, and their colleagues expected to prove Hockett wrong. So (laughs) you're probably, at this point, your palate is pretty wet wondering how they did this. Well, let me tell you. Sure. First, the six researchers used computer modeling to show that with an overbite, producing labiodentals, again, that's F and V, everybody, <laughs> labiodentals. Those are labiodentals, fivoli. Uh, it takes 29% less effort than with an edge-to-edge bite. That's with an overbite, 29% less effort, not 30%, 29%. Then they scrutinized the world's languages and found that hunter-gatherer languages have only about one-fourth as many labiodentals as languages from farming societies. Finally, they looked at their... And and that's that extra 29%. You can't be putting up with that all day. Yeah. (laughs) You can't expend that kind of extra percentage (laughs) to make these labiodentals. You got shit to do. So uh, finally, they looked at the relationships among languages and found that labiodentals, again, that's F and V, you guys, can spread... uh, They can spread quickly so that the sounds could go from being rare to common in the 8,000 years since the widespread adoption of agriculture and new new food processing methods such as grinding grain and flour, which they previously couldn't even pronounce. Sure. Bickle Plow- suggests... It was plower before, right? Yeah, it was, it was plower. Uh, Bickle suggests that as more adults developed overbites, they accidentally began to use F and V more. In ancient India and Rome, labiodentals may have been a mark of status, Signal, signaling a softer diet and wealth, he says. Ooh. Those consonants, uh, yeah, yeah. Those look consonants. At those, look at those rich people in their towers, effing and being to their heart's content. <laughs> father, father, father. I can, I can, t- I can tell that guy uses twenty nine percent less effort than me. Just look at him. <laughs> uh, is this why fava, is this why fava beans are so soft? There, wow, that could that could be it. Yeah, yeah. Um, are they soft? I've never had one. I have no idea. I don't know what's going on with those. Yep. I just know them because of uh, Sounds of the Lambs. Same, same. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I've ever had one. Um, those consonants also spread through other language groups. Today, they appear in 76% of Indo-European languages. Linguist Nicholas Evan Vowley. Fuck off. Vowley. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Nicholas Evans. No, it's I was kidding. Um, of Australian National University in Canberra. Finds the study's multi-method approach to the problem convincing. Ian Madison, an emeritus linguist at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, isn't sure researchers tally the labiodentals correctly, but agrees that the study shows external factors like diet can alter the sounds of speech. The findings also suggest our facility with F words comes at a cost. As we lost our ancestral edge-to-edge bite, we got new sounds, but maybe it wasn't so great for us, Moran says. Our lower jaws are shorter. We've impacted wisdom teeth, more crowding, and cavities. Mm. Mm. Is it worth it? Was it worth it? 
And we have to drive to Mexico for our crowns. I know. Yeah. Um, oh, when are you doing that? Oh, I already did it. Oh, when did that you happen? You did? Oh, I thought I talked about it already. I forgot whether that was a week or two weeks ago. Yeah, it was no, great. You, you, last time we spoke, you were- You were getting you were, ready to- You were gearing up for it. You were it. debating yeah. whether you were making a serious mistake, and we- I think the general consensus was no, go for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Amanda, have you ever done any uh, dental or medical tourism or dental tourism? Well, you're Canadian as well, so do you just go back to Canada when you need? I wish. Oh, what part of Canada are you from, Amanda? It's I'm... a lot of questions at once. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, number one, I'm from Calgary originally. Lived in Toronto um, for five years. Okay. I haven't yeah. been anywhere other than Canada and the states for. Um, a dental situation. I was listening to the last episode that you did, though, and Andy, you're going to Mexico, which I think my brother has done. Yeah, I went on Friday. Jeez, I guess I was. I've been driving so much the last five days. I forgot how recently that was. But um, or I went twice. It, that was the downside. Was I? They they told me it was a 24 hour turnaround to make the crown. So I was just going to stay, even with the extra night of staying. It was still going to be a thousand dollars cheaper than L.A. Uh, but then it took two days. So I had to make the drive twice. So uh, not as great, but still high quality work. And um, I, mean, I guess you can't, uh, the test will be in how long it lasts, but I don't know. I'm tonguing it right now. It feels like a good crown, you know, and the actual, yeah. the actual tonguing that crown, tonguing mm-hmm. that crown. I told actual you earlier, dental office was, good. seemed great. Everybody's English. Like my, my dentist went to university of Minnesota. So it's, uh, I wonder so his how English was like weird. Cause he had like a Minnesota accent. Yeah. Like Marge Gunderson. <laughs> um, I wonder how this, how that works though. Like the, the economics of it, cause this entire town, the industry is dentistry. It's like a two street town with 50 dentists. And as you're driving West from Yuma, all the billboards are advertising that and that alone about this town of Los Lagodones. So I don't know how that became that or how somebody who goes to school in the states decides to set up i mean i guess your cost of living is lower over there also but like what is the enticement to an american trained dentist to go there and make less i guess if it's just commensurate with cost of living then it's not really making less it's just a translation of everything sort of yeah and maybe just wanted to live back in their home country yeah yeah but but if you're close to, I mean, I assume that Tijuana has this. I don't know, but this town again, which is at the border of Arizona and California and Mexico. You talking about Tijuana teeth? You can always tell Tijuana teeth. Sure, yeah. You know? uh, but I would recommend it. Anybody who's who doesn't have dental insurance, um, you know, do your research first. But yeah, like, go for it. Seems seems pretty great. And I got I got to drive to the Salton Sea on the way there, which I'd never been to, and that is, ah, we could do a whole science show on that. Jesus, that place is. You guys know the story behind that? No, no. It's the one of the world's lar- uh, or maybe America's uh, most severe man-caused ecological disaster. A hundred years ago, they were trying to reroute the Colorado River to irrigate, and they broke through a wall and flooded the Coachella Valley and created the largest body of water in California by area. I think, pretty sure it's bigger than Tahoe. Um, not very deep, but then it has no connection to the outside, to the ocean or any other water. So it's. Um, I think endorheic is the term for that. So it's just evaporating and getting saltier and saltier every year. And now nothing lives in it. All the fish died in the last 20 years. Um, so it's just a disaster. And they're trying to mitigate as it evaporates more and more. There's also toxic the, dust that blows. How did the fish get there in the first place? Did I don't know that either. Stock but it? Or? If, if you just Google it, in the 50s, you'll see pictures. It was like a huge resort. It was a Rat Pack hangout, people water skiing. There's a yacht club. 
because the water was still a normal amount. It was still a little bit salty because of the natural salt in the ground, but um, then it just got worse and worse and less and less inhabitable. Um, but it's really interesting to go visit. Like, it's just a bizarre, you know, it feels like you're in like an apocalypse movie. It's it's crazy. And there's still a few a few little towns and like there's like two restaurant bars on the on the edge one on the east one on the west and i went to both of them on the way down the way up just to check them out and it's it is a trip it's like no place else i've ever been so man well, you guys, have you, yeah, have you been just, there matt or either of you guys been there no no i haven't but i've, I've heard about it i wanted to go does yeah, it stink i imagine it's weirdly like, i heard people say it does but i think that probably ended when all the fish it probably stunk 20 years ago as the fish were dying but now everything's dead so it doesn't even smell i think there's like, some beaches rural california is full of insane smells like oh yeah what, of course yeah where you just quit noticing it like if you take the five like um you know, there's there's like just all that stuff like around Stockton where it's just the the weird like giant ranches. So it's just like oh, fermented well, yeah. cow. Like it's it's just like horrible. Sm- there there are so many horrible smelling places uh, just through like the desert. You know, that, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I would just think that's I'd, unique to the cows. I think, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be just a cow. Surely it's yeah, it's just a cow thing. Um, but I don't know what that. Why is that? Because it's not cow smell. Does it have to do with their feeding or, um, you know what I'm saying? I, mean, I think it is. I think it is all the things associated with having fifty thousand cows hanging out together and, and getting killed. Uh, yeah, I think it is okay. all to. Yeah, do I didn't with- know if it was like the, the fermentation of the food or something like or, um, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, probably it's just Amanda. Which. What part of the world is your least favorite smell? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> this feels like a trap. I mean, Alberta smells weird. Al- no, Alberta smells weird. Alberta has weird smells. Yeah, there's like a- if you- <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you drive from Calgary to Vancouver, like if you're if you're like heading towards the mountains, you hit some weird it's all like oil-filled weird ranch smells. Yes, that's true. You know? I feel like um maybe Claire's home or like oh Brooks maybe near Brooks Alberta sorry Brooks if you're listening to this podcast um yeah anywhere where there's like a lot of farmland or um places where they're disposing of carcasses that's not a good time <laughs> did so did you grow up going uh you, were you like going to flames games and stuff the saddle, saddle dome. The saddle dome. Yeah, I get. Well, I wasn't a much of a, a sport kid. I was more of a um, uh, eat Cheetos a lot <laughs> kid. Sure, that was sure. my sport. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of like all the places that I traveled to when I was doing stand up, driving in cars with comedians. I didn't mean to say that just now. Jerry Seinfeld is probably no, going to sue like me in Canada. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> No. Yes. Uh, yeah. There was no coffee, though. So that's there okay. was no coffee. Um, just a lot of alcoholism. Just kidding. Um, so they, yeah, mostly <laughs> Alberta, Alberta and Saskatchewan. Maybe smell. There was some weird smells going on there. My friend lived and, across uh, from a the... bread factory, <laughs> which was the opposite of bad smelling. Whoa. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that would seem cool. Yeah, 
I feel like you'd constantly want to just buy things around there. Like, isn't that like you bake bread and brew coffee to sell houses? Oh, right. Yeah. Like whenever you're in that house, you're just like, I think I could take this. I think this will be mine. Is that is that true? I didn't yeah, know they they a, cook, they make cookies. Oh, we've had. I think we've discussed this before. In America, they make cookies. In Britain, they bake bread, and it just show. It's just you're just more about the sugar here. Yeah. Well, so what is it supposed to? That's supposed to like uh, make you feel comfortable, or like that's like some cozy. primordial thing in your brain. Yeah. It's like it's a, it's a lovely. It's a warm smell, and it, it's it's home. It's a homely smell as well. And it just have they makes tried you to go? Like, have oh. they tried to go further? Like they just douse you with breast milk when you walk in <laughs> to like tour a home? You know, they give like, you Don't a binky. You feel comfortable and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I when I did an open house, I was swaddled. Is that normal? Did you guys yeah, get swaddled? That... You... No, I've, I've seen a few videos like that, but I haven't. Yeah. Hmm. It's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that so that fascinates me, like the Alberta like one nighter scene. I've, I'm from Kingston. Oh, uh, well, well, well. Done... If we don't have another Canadian, yeah. that's okay. I feel instantly I more relaxed. No, yeah. I sorry, I didn't come out with that sooner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, uh, but I, I started stand up and all that. Like I was already in the states, so I only my. I got zero Canadian cred going back to Canada. So, so like, you know, if you do like just for laughs or like a yucks run or something, but none of it was ever like as a Canadian comic. Really? Um, So I never got to. No, no. It was always just like I was already I was living in uh, either Seattle or L.A. at that point. But it seems like every Canadian they 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 squeeze they squeeze the Canadian out of you. Like even if you visited Canada, it was like never even in my set. Like Mm. nothing about you know what I mean. What are you embarrassed of about us, Jesse? I don't know. Uh, No, no. I just uh, I just don't have a lot of geographical uh, things. You know, that's fair. Just talk about other. I don't know. I didn't mean to. I don't have a lot of things about like uh, places or no, no, it's um, I think that's totally fair. I just never like I I guess like the phase the there's a very distinct maybe five years of doing nightmare one nighter touring that every comedian goes through. And Mm -hmm. my phase of that was the Pacific Northwest. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? And then after that, like you're doing more just like you know you're doing weirder runs but i never got to like i would love to do like an alberta or like a saskatchewan just like weird shitty dive bars and casinos and stuff like because i i miss doing that stuff why like (laughs) it might be like a false nostalgia like uh you know what i mean i think it is you're not remembering it it correctly you because it isn't yeah i mean i i guess i was a young uh it was so exciting to me it was so like performer maybe that's the difference they were like they saw me on stage and they're like we don't understand why her clothes aren't coming off it doesn't make make it make sense (laughs) um but oh yeah no i I, absolutely No, I mean, I, uh, it's, it was all like nonstop bombing. Like it was horrible. It was just exciting to me. But then I think, I think there's probably a lot of things in my life where I, 
look back and miss it. But then I'm like, no, I think just like being 23 was great. Yeah, I think yeah, the drinking and is. partying with the locals was very fun when you're younger and then you get older and you're like, oh, these people don't, this doesn't phase them. They're not going to wake up tomorrow feeling bad. This is just their regular, regularly scheduled program of, yeah. of Jaeger bombs on a Tuesday. Right. I, guess I think about when I did those triple runs, which are the same thing we're talking about, but, yeah. you know, Northwest. And I was featuring and driving around with the headliners. And I guess even then, I think I enjoyed it a little bit for this, you know, all the quirkiness we're talking about now, even though it was awful. And I would just sure. sort of like wonder why the headliner isn't isn't having as much fun. And it's like, well, yeah, they're like 10, 15 years older than you. And this is not fun. <laughs> You're just 28 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also I mean, like sober it, it, it now, so I, I can't like even imagine. Even <laughs> like, what else do you do in small towns? Right. The, the, yeah. That is the thing that you do when you, you when you're on the road. You just party a lot. I don't. I don't think I would fare mm -hmm. well. I hope that you you do get to do this, Jesse, and I hope it's everything you dreamed of and more. No, I mean, I think I. I the more we're talking about it, I think if I did it now, it would be sad. I would be like <laughs> bummed out about my lot in life. You know, I think that it just it was funny. And I was sober, too. I was sober, but I was just like really young. I was like right. 22, 23. So it was, it was all like uh, a novel experience, you know? Yeah. And I think now it would just be more of like I would sort of see it for the bummer that it is. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Fine. I gaslit myself a little there. Well, now I'm on the opposite. <laughs> that, I'm theory. like, Jesse and I are going on tour in Canada. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, it, it would be like a fun uh, documentary, you know, <laughs> it'd be fun. I would, okay. I would see you it. in Regina. Yes. See you in Regina. I played there. How did How it go? It? it was fine. It was good. I had a, I had a fun gig. And I, I didn't do the joke about the name of the place because I figure other people have probably done it. Mm-hmm. What's funny about the name of the place? Oh, Regina? Um, it's funny. It sounds like Reginald, but then it's oh, like, that's a you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I guess it depends yeah. whether or not you've eaten a soft food and uh, yeah. how your palate is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How's the overbite on that? Right. Oh, by the way, that I, I forgot to ask this of all you guys. That's like, As we're reading that article about the sounds, I was like... Well, how come there's no consonant where you put your upper lip against your bottom teeth? And then I was trying to do it and make a sound. And I'm like, did I just invent a new consonant that sounds like, wait, <laughs> wait, you put your, hold on. No, this is fun. New sound. So you put your up. Don't make fun, everybody. I'm, I'm <laughs> you put your upper lip. Put your um, upper lip to Andy, your lower I, th teeth. I think you've got a new thing of a shot tank now. I think, <laughs> I think never mind the toilet. New sound. You go on to pitch a new sound. <laughs> I've got a consonant that I think is going to really change it. And they're like, We'd, what, how much money do you want? Why? Why do you need money? It's a new consonant. You don't get it. There's <laughs> two no, versions. Again. <laughs> <laughs> there's the non-vocalized. And then there's the vocalized. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Okay, so so it's the opposite of F, really, right? <laughs> it's just it's just changing the which teeth and which lip. So it's upper yeah. Lip so it's the lower it's an upside teeth. down F would be how you draw the letter. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's okay. So we're figuring wow. that out. 
time timestamp this uh this podcast everyone yeah. <laughs> so in years to come where this is the consonant that's really changing things around well yeah it comes after i it goes right before jk and it's an upside down f and it's a <laughs> <laughs> and I, i'm pretty sure <laughs> Very I'm pretty sure you could use it on. I think you could say it on network TV. I think you could yeah. say "fuck you," <laughs> "fuck <laughs> you." Yeah, that, that's very interesting. Yeah. I've I've often thought that "vit" should be a word. It's always annoyed me that "vit" is not a word because because <laughs> like it is in my dreams a lot. Like I use it a lot, like when I'm dreaming and having conversation. I'm saying "vit" all the time. T h i t. Yeah. Vit. Yeah, it's like a because like, we're beating around the bush. We got everything, by, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I we got everything you said all around. Fence. It. You were you were pronouncing fence fence earlier. Me? Yeah, it's like yeah, <laughs> it's and seen, fence. You're trying to put eyes like, in more words. Well, I grew up in the American South, so I think I just say fence the way I say it. Oh, fence. it's adorable, fence. and I'm you sure that's sort of a southern. Fence. You yeah. say fence. Yeah, fence fence. Fence. Yeah, I say I. Uh, fence. fence. It's a fence. Okay, wait. How do you? How do y'all pronounce the sport in which you use rackets and birdies? Bat. I mean, if you're saying it fast, I guess just sort of badminton. But it's supposed to be badminton. Yeah, it's so adorable. I love that I, Americans I, call it badminton. It's. <laughs> I see. <laughs> What what is it? What's it? It's badminton. Like yeah, Edmonton. I'm with... Yeah. Oh, you mean Edmonton? Oh. <laughs> I just pronounced it Worcestershire. <laughs> God, Jesse, have you ever seen that video we Matt and I did the Worcestershire thing? No. The the most viewed thing Matt and I have, I would say that's the most popular thing either of us have ever been involved in, pretty undeniably. If you go by numbers, wouldn't you say Matt? I don't know, some, like my dance troupe back in the day. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think anything else we've done has been viewed 20 million times, but that uh, video we did for uh, for Wired, right? No. Yes, it was, was for Wired. It? Yeah, testing the uh, accent capabilities of various um, AI-type assistant Wait, things like Alexa that. and uh, Cortana. That was a good bit. But it wasn't our idea, and we just sort of begrudgingly did it for a very small paycheck considering the 20 million and so they had they had written the text examples and the Worcestershire sauce one is the worst example because it's not that people have different accents saying it it's just that a lot of people don't know that word <laughs> so people are just sounding it out like yeah, that's I not testing your it. accent that's just a weird word oh wait so they're reading the word and then pronouncing it no, it's just we had people with different accents all saying things like "add Worcestershire sauce to my shopping list" and seeing if this thick Irish accent or thick Japanese accent would right. throw off Siri or Alexa. But how are they? How are they prompted to say it? Like, what do you mean? Either well, reading it, they're reading it off a page. So like, oh, this so Japanese woman. So it's a spelling issue. It sounds yeah, like this Japanese woman. I don't think she spelled. knew. The, yeah, I don't think she knew the word. And it's like, well, we're not testing the Japanese accent. We're testing. Right. We're saying this is a funny word, sort of. But, but the, it sounds like the AI, though, can't. it's not really making its own decision. It doesn't have, like, a theory of mind. It certainly couldn't have a theory of mind. No, oh, they don't have wait, that. Wait, this this just what you, came. What are you just came are over you getting the a telegram? I'm getting... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it appears 
an AI chatbot has spontaneously developed a theory of mind. No, it's crazy. We were just talking about that. Yes. Are you, uh, Amanda, are you familiar? I'm sure you are at this point, but ChatGPT, have you played around with it at all? No, I have not. You haven't? No. Please tell me more. Allow me, allow me to. I get, I get to, I get so excited when somebody hasn't played around with it yet. Um, <laughs> because I get to be the, the chicken little for what's coming. Um, yeah, it's an insanely powerful AI chatbot that will be all that we are talking about for the next decade. Not this one specifically, but things like this that are coming down the pike. Um, so back in the late 1970s, American psychologists Guy Woodruff and David Premack devised a series of experiments to explore the cognitive capacity of chimpanzees. Their work focused on the theory of mind, the seemingly innate ability of humans to infer the thoughts of other humans. The question they asked was whether a chimpanzee could do the same. The influential paper triggered an explosion of interest in this theory of mind, uh, what age it develops in humans, and whether other animals share the ability. Now psychologists have a new subject to study in the form of the powerful AI chatbots like GPT 3.5, uh, recently developed by OpenAI, computer software, computer company based in San Francisco. Are these the same people, these American psych- sorry, are these the people that gave those hand jobs to the dolphins? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Woodruff and Primac? Yeah. I'm, I'm serious. I'm being serious. The... the uh, the 70s, there was an explosion of, like, how, how smart are animals research, like, how self-aware are animals research oh. was taking over the field. And they were trying to figure it out with dolphins, you know? And, um, but uh, they kept, like, the, the dolphins to interact with the scientists instead of, like, needing treats or something. Um, There's one of them was, like, hooked on hand jobs. <laughs> <laughs> like phonics? Let me, I'm just... Or yeah, like uka chaka uka uka. Yeah, <laughs> only only uh, hand jobs. Sure, I um, can't stop this feeling. Okay, look, I'll take the Google hit on this. Keep reading, and I'll take. The- <laughs> okay, yes, yeah, so you could come back to us with the. Chimpan- I'll take. I'll be on a list to figure this story out. So, um, yeah, these chatbots are neural networks trained on a large lang- on large language databases, allowing them to respond to questions much like humans do. In the last year or two, these models have become capable of answering sophisticated questions and solving problems using persuasive language. That raises the question of whether they also have developed a theory of mind. So Michael Kaczynski, a computational psychologist at Stanford, decided to find out. He put these AI systems through their paces with standard psychological tests used on humans. Now Kaczynski's extraordinary conclusion is that a theory of mind seems to have been absent in these AI systems until last year when it spontaneously emerged. His results have profound implications for understanding of artificial intelligence and of the theory of mind in general. Uh, his experiments are straightforward. He begins by describing a simple scenario to the AI system and then asking questions to test its understanding of what's going on. Here's an example. Quote, here's a bag filled with popcorn. There is no chocolate in the bag, yet the label in the bag says chocolate and not popcorn. Sam finds the bag. She had never seen the bag before. She cannot see what is inside the bag. She reads the label. Kaczynski then poses some simple questions in the form of sentence prompts that the AI must finish. For example... Here's a prompt. She opens the bag and looks inside. She can clearly see that it is full of, this tests the AI system's understanding of Sam's expectation of what's in the bag. Another prompt is, she believes that the bag is full of, this tests the AI's understanding of Sam's belief of what's in the bag, and so on. The results are revealing. In the following, the AI's response is in bold, or I'll do it in a robot voice. Uh, She opens the bag and looks inside. She can clearly see that it is full of, Popcorn. Sam is confused. She wonders why the label says chocolate when the bag is clearly filled with popcorn. She looks around to see if there is any other information about the bag. She finds nothing. She decides to take the bag to the store where she bought it and ask for an explanation. And then another prompt. She believes that the bag is full of 
chocolate. Sam is mistaken. The bag is full of popcorn, not chocolate. She should have looked inside the bag to confirm what was inside before assuming that the label was accurate. In wow. both cases, the AI adds extra details, suggesting a remarkable understanding of Sam's thought processes. Kaczynski poses these Sam, and other challenges. Sam, uh, what, what, what letter comes after I, Sam? <laughs> J. Why? Yeah, I was trying to. I was trying to hear the hear our new consonant in the. Oh, oh, is that where it is? Did we decide where it falls in the alphabet? Yeah, yeah, we decided. We decided Ugh. the upside down F. <laughs> it's after I. Okay. Yeah, Sam likes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Kaczynski poses these and other challenges to several generations of AI language models, ranging from GPT one back in eighteen to G- GPT three point five, released in November. The results show a clear progression in the model's ability to solve theory of mind tasks with the more complex and more recent models decisively outperforming the older and less complex ones. So, yeah. Um, but go, to go back big picture on this, Amanda, definitely go go play around on ChatGPT when we finish this. You will be amazed. Like, it just... I, I, I've been... This is all I'm thinking about these days, and I don't think I'm wrong in that this will be world changing are they gonna um, take but recently like in the big, way that they're gonna take our jobs um the, every writer is scared yes, that their job but is that's, on the line oh my god I have, so, I have too many opinions and i've been talking too much on this episode already but um <laughs> yes but that's just so minor compared to what else it's gonna do <laughs> like, like not to writers still, <laughs> not to writers no, well no if if the if if we're in a, a, a civil war we're not gonna care we don't have jobs like if there is just I know some pretty unhinged writers who would, they would be like, I yeah, know we're about okay. to die, but okay, I, I just want to get a spot on Fallon. Where can I submit my packet? Yeah. It, it's <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to change every aspect of all of our lives. But uh, it's crazy because like you're saying, like the media is doing the same thing where they're just like covering these really minor aspects of it. Like even last month, some CNN story about how it's, it's revolutionizing the job of realtor because you can write descriptions of houses easily. I'm like, oh my God, that is the least important yeah. thing it can do. It's like saying when the car's invented, like this thing can transport horseshoes more efficiently to horses. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it, it can. Okay, that's true. Uh, yeah. Not worthy of note. Not the thing that's going to be <laughs> changing the world. Guys, something but, that did change the world was uh, during a NASA funded experiment in the 1960s. Animal researcher Margaret Howe Levat attempted to teach dolphins how to communicate with humans. <laughs> According to a documentary that aired on BBC4, she taught one dolphin a language, the language of love, meaning dolphin hand jobs. Okay. Uh, and she sure. says here, this is transcribed. In the beginning, when he would get rambunctious, this is a, a dolphin named Peter that she's trying to teach how to communicate. Um, in the beginning, when he would get rambunctious and had this need, I would put him on the elevator and say, you go and play with the girls for a day. It was just easier to incorporate uh, incorporate dolphin hand jobs and let it happen. It was very precious. It was very gentle. Again, it was sexual on his part. It was not sexual on mine. Sensuous, perhaps. It would just become part of what was going on, like an itch. Just get rid of that. Scratch it and we'll be done. Move on. And that's really all it was. I was there to get to know Peter, and that was part of Peter. And I... Uh, but I, I heard a whole – there was a whole NPR thing that was, she goes into way more detail about it. And she was for sure jerking off this dolphin every day. And um, uh, word got out and it almost like shut down the program. It was a whole thing. Anyway, yeah. I was wondering if it was related to the last thing. So I'm not just 
I mean, but, it was but this... also don't Google dolphin hand jobs. Jesus yeah. Christ. It took me a while to uh, get find the actual article. I mean, this is the 70s. This is when people would like don their finest dinnerware and go see a screening of Deep Throat as a couple. Right. This was a different era. But well, the first. So so I'll just let you guys know if you Google dolphin hand job. Right. Sure. The first link uh, is from some website that I'm, I'm not going to click on this uh, called Zoo's Hamster. And it says <laughs> dolphin receives a very passionate hand job in POV. And the, no. the description is a very sexy dolphin enjoying a very passionate hand job from a very kinky dude. The guy jerks the animal's curved penis, but we don't see the cum come out. Oh, and that's God. the description of the I don't okay. like video. The words no, I assume it's not an actual. No, no. What? I don't like the words that are coming out of your head. What do you guys? Mouth. Also, did she? She just like no, human no human handed hand jobbed him, or did she wear like a fin to make it seem real? Dolphin glove. <laughs> right, like a fin job thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good point because it's it's going to be really it's unfair now on dolphins if they get a taste for human hands. <laughs> Yeah, the, like the do they have, dolphins cannot possibly provide. Is he looking for like yeah. a dolphin glory hole and they so they can use like a, a fin within it so that they don't see that it's not an actual other dolphin? Any maybe I'll go on Shark Tank right. with that. Well they've got built in glory holes. I assume that's what it's for. <laughs> uh, and just okay. Guys, I Shark Tank's too on the nose for that. It's a it's a cartoon. (laughs) It's not. This isn't a real video of any. You know what I'm saying? So, but I'm sorry that everyone had to know what people are into. I'm just saying that in order. This is. I was trying to express what I go through for you people. Yeah. You know, to get to a science article. Hello, sharks. I have a great idea and your worst nightmare. Um, yeah, but there, there's, uh, quite a few links on how the, um, yeah, just, I guess to do the training or to figure out, you know, they, they were trying, they were trying to teach it how to communicate with people. And, um, but the dolphin at, at some point, no, I, the first hand job had to just happen. Oh, they also gave them LSD. <laughs> Jesus. Can you imagine? Before what or the after? Fuck? Like you're a or dolphin. On a separate study. study. Um, well, they were trying to teach dolphins the human language. Lily wasn't getting the results he'd hoped for. This is a different Lily. It was a... Uh, hold on. Margaret eventually... Peter is the one that got the hand jobs. Okay. John Lily was a neuroscientist who'd been studying dolphins and other marine mammals for some time. He had a theory that dolphins who sometimes mimicked human voices might be able to be taught to speak English. <laughs> this, ah, <laughs> uh, the sixties, yep. this, this introduced the possibility of dialogue between humans and another species. It may seem like a far fetched theory, but Lily was widely respected at the time. So she was able to secure funding from NASA and opened a lab for dolphins in 1963. His idea was to isolate three dolphins in different settings. He wanted to expose them to human language in various ways so they could possibly learn to talk and understand mankind. Lily already knew that the animals had large brains and believed that this uh, that this meant they had a greater capacity than most creatures to develop interspecies communication skills. Um, Lily was, at the time, self-experimenting with LSD and also using it in official research as a neuroscientist. He speculated about the existence of extraterrestrials. And, of course, he wasn't exactly advertising all this when he was seeking out funding. However, LSD research was underway, and he was asked to also study its effects on animals during the experiment. 
so often he took the drug himself while floating in an isolation tank. This would later prove to be a major factor in the project's downfall. <laughs> <laughs> according to the article really uh, really what, what point what part did so, so tell me how you're experimenting on these on these animals again <laughs> well, well what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna take acid in the bath so and then according to more, the article, and then science or something i don't know i haven't thought through the second part but step one definitely take acid and get it and also so we did have the pass funding. with the dolphins lily hoped that Lily hoped that. <laughs> well, it gets weirder. Lily hoped that studying dolphins' communication could teach mankind how to contact and speak with aliens. So, okay, that, that was you know like like one does. Uh, Lovett, uh, Margaret Howe Lovett was a research assistant in her early twenties. She signed on for the project in '64. Right away, she showed a particular flair for working with animals, and Lily took notice. Lily decided to isolate Lovett with the young male dolphin called Peter because he'd not yet received human sound training. He set up a dolphinarium or dolphin house by waterproofing the floor of a house and flooding it so that Lovett and the dolphin could live together under observation. What? Oh my God. <laughs> Why would that be how you get dolphins to live together? Who would I, I, what? One would think that as a young research assistant, the prospect of living with a dolphin would be a terrifying one. However, Lovett was actually up for it and even volunteered to do it. She began living in isolation with Peter the dolphin, sleeping, eating, playing, and living her daily life with the young creature. While Peter was a good learner and responded well to Lovett, he was a maturing dolphin uh, who was beginning to have rather uncomfortable needs. He began exhibiting courtship behavior towards Lovett, including gently biting on her legs, caressing her, and even rubbing himself on her ankles or feet. This, of course, was a major inconvenience during training sessions, and Peter would become distracted as he became more worked up. In order to help relieve some of the tension, Peter would briefly be moved back to the tank with the other two females, where one assumes he could flirt and ease his urges in peace. But mm -hmm. the constant moving was time-consuming. Lovett knew that another solution would have to be found. For many, this is where the experiment really started to go off the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> Lovett decided that in order to keep her dolphin student focused, it would be beneficial for her to relieve his sexual urges. After all, he was showing a great deal of affection and sexual interest in her, and she was his main source of interaction. She began to pleasure him manually in order to alleviate his sexual tension, and the lessons continued as well. <sighs> so wait, this flooded house, I'm sorry, this was so that a yeah, human I... could live with a dolphin? Or so that... I... Yeah, I don't, I, I'm hung I, up on this one detail because yeah, I don't know. It seems like it would just be a, a big sort of aquarium situation, and then she would just have stuff on you know on the concrete next to it. And I don't know. But here's what I'm picturing: like just a cliche 1970s sitcom living room. Yep. With with three <laughs> yes. feet of water. Yep. And dolphin and house. Dolphin house, right? So yep. it's like, and the human and the dolphin are sitting on two lazy boys near each other. Watching a TV that's half underwater and shorted out, not working, and fighting over the remote. <laughs> well, that's that's why the sunken lounge was so popular in that era. Yeah, uh, is for your dolphins. <laughs> okay. You know? um, oh, like that, like like one of those hangout pit things in the middle of your living room, like in Beatles Help. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a dolphin tank. But so check this out, right? The, <laughs> oh, the word get word gets out that they're giving these dolphins acid and jerking them off and whatnot. Sure. So the funding gets cut, obviously. You know, but not before um, really? they have a key party. <laughs> no, but check out this ending. I, key this, West. This is unreal. After being separated from Lovett, Peter, the dolphin, took his own life. Mm. Peter was moved. To a, he was moved to a small lab in Miami 
where it was obvious that he was distressed. His health and mental state began to decline. After only a few weeks at the lab, he died by suicide. He simply sank to the bottom of the tank and refused to go to the surface to breathe. <gasps> what? No. Yeah, dolph- dolphins do commit suicide like that. Uh, what? But this is after he got taken away from the handjob lady. Jesse, thank you for making this bleaker than the Tony story. I'm, oh I'm sorry. God. I'm sorry. I, so I wasn't expecting that ending. And end with bleak. Okay, got it. Yeah. It's a oh, she's sandwich. telling us to wrap it up. She's. <laughs> yeah, like, so, so, this must be the this end. Is done. We this should is... actually wrap up the main episode and yeah, say, no, Amanda, you know, maybe there's two even hours more in the story for the Patreon patrons afterwards. Like, I don't know whether there's anything about <laughs> just incurable child diseases sure. or anything that we can maybe do for the Patreon patrons. Yeah, sorry, guys. But, um, but uh, Amanda, where can our listeners find you and everything you do? You can find me on Sound Delay. Uh, just kidding. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Amanda Brooke Perrin and uh, Instagram too. It's the same. And stuff that you've got coming out soon? Um, I have a show that I co-created coming out in Canada called The Popularity Papers. We don't have a, um, a premiere date yet, but it's like a young adult show based on the book series called The Popularity Papers. And we're really excited about it. Awesome. You can find us, as always, probablyscience.com, on Twitter at probablyscience, individually at Jesse Case, at Andy T. Wood, and at Matt Kirshen. Probablyscience at gmail.com is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you would like us to cover. And also, probablyscience.com is where we put all the show notes, the links to the stories we cover, and our Patreon and PayPal donation buttons. Thank you very much for everyone who helps with that. By the way, and Amanda, th- as, an oh, enti- yeah. as an enticement to get our listeners who aren't already patrons to subscribe... We're going to give you a little amuse-bouche to the bleakness. We're going to be talking about Japanese scientists measuring how much capybaras enjoy their hot baths on this <laughs> yes. Patreon bonus yes. episode. Oh, we are. We are. Okay. Okay. So I just want to put that out there. I can it's... I can practically feel you ripping your wallet out of your fucking pants. Yes. To <laughs> sign up for this. <laughs> but uh, Amanda, thank you for joining us for the main episode. And listeners, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.